0: Hey, everybody, this is Mike Rubinelli, Chief Gaming Officer at Trano. the platform that meticulously builds vital infrastructure that games require to thrive. I'm on the edge of NFT. I'm not in the middle, but I'm on the edge of NFT, the podcast building the infrastructure for you to stay up to speed with all the coolest NFT projects. Please keep listening.
1: Hey there, NFT curious listeners, stay tuned for today's episode and find out how Toronto is creating incredible blockchain-based gaming experiences that involve some of the most prestigious creators in gaming history.
2: And find out how today's guests only fear, maybe fear itself.
1: And how one football, as in soccer, is putting fans in the front seat with a blockchain foundation sitting quietly behind the scenes. All this and more on today's episode.
2: And don't forget, we put together a gathering at NFTLA just a few months back and brought out thousands of the world's most innovative doers in the NFT space. Head to nftla.live to get tickets to our bigger, better, bolder, but also just as intimate and impactful event happening in Los Angeles, March 20th to the 23rd, 2023. Hey, we'll see you there. (laughs) Welcome to the Edge of NFT, features Michael Rubinelli, Chief Gaming Officer at Tyrano a rapidly growing studio that specializes in building best-in-class games, utility-based viral, VIRL, NFTs, and multi-chain Web3 products. Michael Rubinelli is a technology and gaming leader with 15 plus years of progressive experience in executive leadership, product development, and continual revenue growth, and is renowned for his success at top corporations, including Disney, THQ, and Electronic Arts. Michael has now turned his attention to blockchain games and spends most of his time expanding the gaming division of Toronto Studios. Toronto is a premier Web3 studio of uncompromising vision and unrivaled experience focused on disrupting the old paradigms of the gaming industry. With a proven track record of delivering wildly successful multi-chain games, tools, services, and digital assets to the mass market, the Toronto team consists of Web3 pioneers and video game industry veterans responsible for billions of dollars in gross revenue. Michael, it's a pleasure to have you here on Edge of NFT.
0: I'm not sure what else I say after that. I feel like, (laughs) you know, we're done. Mic drop. uh, yeah, exactly. Quite an introduction. I feel like you've gone <laughs> over my whole career, my current s- steady state, and then my future. So it makes my job here very easy. Nice.
1: We had to do something special for you, Michael, because I don't know how we got into the 170s in terms of episodes without featuring Wax, and now Toronto is doing the space. This episode is is long overdue, especially since we we actually know William quickly, But He's a busy guy, and you're a busy guy. And I'm just really excited to dive into what you've been doing. I'm back in the States after a little tour of Asia, and it's all about gaming, gaming, gaming. And so this is an area that we really want to sort of continue to peel back and and sort of look at what's going on underneath the surface, what's being built, why is it being built, and, and what you're doing at Toronto is core to that conversation. So thanks for joining us.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. And you know, a couple of points really quickly on what you said. First of all, when people learn about kind of the Wax blockchain and then what was Wax Studios is now Toronto, people go, I had no idea and it's kind of shame on me for not knowing more. I sort of say that's our fault. We don't do a great job of PRing like we don't thump our chest and say, look at all this money we raised, look at all these things we do, you know, cover me, cover me, cover me. And so that's but once you hear the numbers and you understand what the user experience is like, you're like, this is the best thing going and it really is. That's one. And two, but from a gaming standpoint, like Gaming has drove mass adoption of so many popular trends, sites, technology, kind of user experiences. It's all about gaming or the gamification of something, right? People love entertainment and that's what games often provide. And, and sometimes it's begrudgingly. So when we were at Playdom Corporation, which got bought by Walt Disney, like we were driving so much revenue for Facebook. They're like, Ugh. Mark Zuckerberg hated games, hated gaming, but saw this as a real opportunity to come in and scrape a currency or scrape one of the, the currencies that we were collecting, which were fiat at that time and said, I can make real money here. And then because there's so many players playing so many games, Farmville and Gardens of Time and Marvel Avengers Alliance, like that became a real meaningful piece of business for them for a really, really long period of time. And then you kind of fast forward to that led to the advent of free-to-play gaming on mobile devices. And you look at all the revenue that comes to Apple, right? People are like, oh, it's it's phone sales. It, it, no, it's, it's actual transactional kind of scrapes or ad dollars tied to the gaming initiative. So gaming drives so many pieces of business for so many different platforms, technologies and companies that... There's a reason why that is, and it's not just some fad that's going to go away. So yeah, happy to talk about that.
1: In fact, Michael, while I was in Singapore, I met the gentleman that was doing the in-game payment processing for Friendster, and it got so prolific and so successful that he bought Friendster from Friendster, and then he sold it to Facebook. So that's how Facebook acquired this gaming technology. So I met the guy that pulled that off in Asia last week. So um, couldn't agree with you more because I heard it straight from the source last week.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. And look, I think that if you look at the size of the growth of the user, of the core gamer audience over the years, you know, there's what? There's seven and a half, eight billion people on the planet. There's over three, I think it's like, the last figure I saw was 3.1 or 3.2 billion gamers. So, you know, we're encroaching on 40% of the world plays games at some point during their week, like that's incredible penetration, right? I have five minutes, what can I do? Oh, I can just go level up or I can go clear this, beat this boss. I can do like there's things that games bring this little respite from your life that are so welcoming and so well done and so thoughtful that it's not like like I said, I think the term gamer used to be looked down, oh, you're a nerd, you're a gamer like now it's it's a bit of a, a badge of pride. Like I'm a gamer. I'm proud to be a gamer. I always have been and I'm happy now to to give back to other gamers in the world and kind of bring my thoughts. Hopefully they like what we do and they, they see value in it.
1: Well, let's dive in there, man. You know, Toronto's core conviction here is that players should really have full control over the items they purchase in games. And, you know, for a lot of folks, this is a contrarian perspective. You know, this is regardless of platform. So in a sense, we're talking about interoperability. How did this concept and this venture come into being?
0: Well, let's talk about the concept first. And the only people who are against it are the publishers and the game developers of the web two and kind of the console-based space, because they have this real fear of the unknown. They don't know how to embrace this new business model. And you know, the really, really scary thing for them is that when you transition from one platform to another, right, or from one business model to the next, you know, those are extinction events for companies. Like it's a very scary notion. And we were talking about you know, EA a little bit in the kind of the the, the pre-production of this this meeting. And, you know, people at EA, you know, they get paid very well. They live a very, very comfortable life. If you've ever been to the EA campus on Redwood Shores, it's incredible. It's like going to Disneyland. Now you say to somebody, I want you to embrace embrace something that may cause you not perform very well. Therefore, you may lose this. They're like, whoa, slow down a minute. I'm just going to keep doing my job and be 5% better every year. And that's enough to stay employed right? Like there's this whole notion that, you know, fear of loss is a great motivator for these people. And that's how they think because they, they're they not in the business of taking risk, right? You need to be in the business of creating the possibilities of greatness. And at the core of that, creating greatness is risk. Like you have to embrace that risk. And these guys don't want to do that. So if you start with the notion that publishers don't know how to build an economic model that gets them more money at the end of the day, they'll never do it. This is the same exact thing we saw play out in in free-to-play mobile gaming. Like, you know, all those companies, you know, they were all laggards. And the innovators in free-to-play and mobile were, you know, Zynga and Supercell and Scopely and all these companies, you know, Rovio, like Angry Birds wasn't, you know, EA built and you know designed. It was Rovio through Chilingo was their publisher. EA did a distribution on that because they didn't know how to do that. They didn't know that it would work. And so they take these really defensive positions, go in until something becomes established. And so, and there's a whole lot of Kind of stories I can go into that kind of prove that point, but that's the reality. And so, just like in free to play, when none of the real established companies were early adopters, the ones who won were native in the space. Web3 is going to see the exact same thing. The winners in Web3 are going to be companies that are native to Web3, like Toronto. And so, we think we're going to win because we are in the business of taking risks. We have the courage of our convictions that we know that we're doing the right things. And when you say, how do we know this is the way forward? Ironically, I'll kind of wind the clock back to you know, 1996, right? So that's when we saw real kind of digital kind of you know, marketplaces existing that players went to buy and sell assets from each other. And not to date myself, but if you look at Ultima Online, there was a house that sold in Ultima Online for $3,000 on eBay and nobody could believe it. Like, what? And then like, it was such a, I can't believe this is happening kind of moment. Like it was literally, I had an account. I built this thing. I sold it to somebody else who wanted that. They didn't want to spend the time. They didn't want to spend the currencies. They just wanted what I had, so I sold it to them via eBay. The marketplace died of gaming experience. Fast forward six months later, you look at Diablo One. You know there was this. You know these. You know it was all RNG. You know it was three prefixes, three suffixes. If you got the right three on a certain item, it was worth a ton of money. To to buy that though, you went to eBay and you put a bid on something with stones of Jordan, which were their other in-game currency. Which was this plus one to all stats ring. And if you had enough of those, you could buy the stats. So you'd meet them in Diablo, somewhere in, you know, in, in the Diablo world, and you'd make this exchange. Like Players had been buying and selling from each other since literally the mid-90s. right? You look at in-game gold farming in RPGs, it's the exact same thing. Somebody spent their time going out and mining all this gold, right? a fungible token, if you will, back then, and then selling it to somebody else. And why did that happen? Because to get 3 million gold in World of Warcraft took eight hours. How much of your time is eight hours worth? Eight hours of my time, the amount I make per hour is worth more than the $9.95 somebody wanted to charge me. Great, so I'll pay $10 and get eight, eight hours of my life back that I don't have to focus on the grind. I can just focus on you know playing the game and having fun, running instances, raiding, all that stuff that people like to do.
2: It is one of the reasons that currency works in general, or you know, even fiat, right? I mean, the idea is, why do I work hard at X, Y, Z? It's so some other place I can enjoy myself, or make my my life more efficient, or not have to do something I don't like to do. So yeah, it's, it's just follows naturally. And you talked a lot about kind of being ahead of the curve, and you know, different people being resistant to chain. You know, you guys are so closely worked with WAX blockchain. And we see a lot of that there being ahead of the curve and predicting things way ahead of what people foresaw. Give us some details though, just on the WAX blockchain. What is it? You know, I mean, a lot of people know about Ethereum and they think of that as sort of like a very high profile sort of chain that's a currency and so forth. But WAX has been doing so much, like like we said, for so long and is so established. Tell us more about it.
0: Ethereum is very... Obviously well established, it's well known and Vitalik, he's great. And the whole notion of I wanted to build a blockchain because they changed a spell in World of Warcraft that nerfed my rogue. And like for us gamers, like he's like sits at the right hand of the father. Like he's great. And that's why his profile is so high. And he's a wonderful and super smart guy. I think that what was interesting for us is that so Wax has been around for quite a while. And when they first started building the Wax blockchain, the idea was let's build this blockchain where players can buy and sell NFTs to one another in volume in with really kind of expeditious times to finality, right? Like as a gamer, I bought something because I just lost and I want to win. So I buy it and I go blow the guy's head off and I go on to the next boss kind of like, that's the gamer mentality. So you have to have something immediate. You've got to be able to do it at scale and it's got to be a low cost. It's got to be super convenient. It's got to be high usability. And so when William Quigley, the founder of Wax started building Wax, he started actually building on the Ethereum blockchain. And after they started, and for about two months, they started doing all this kind of this tech kind of skunkworks R&D. And they said, this blockchain actually can't support gaming style NFTs. It just can't. It doesn't have the transactional velocity. It doesn't have the time to finality. It doesn't have any of these things that we know that users want. So let's build WAX on a a standard uh, that can actually service the gamer. So it really was built with gamers in mind, first and foremost, bar none. And so what you see is now, so then WAX GSIO standard and built the WAX protocol. And what you see with WAX is, you know, we can do a little over 8,000 transactions a second today. It Time to finality is less than three minutes. You compare that with Ethereum, with they just post-merger you now, 30-minute time to finality. So you get something on WAX, the most you'll wait is three minutes. And, you know, with Ethereum and, and what they've gone through, it's 10 times that long. And we've actually got a nice tech change incoming that'll be about four seconds and by like the 15th of January, I wanna say we're switching up one of our kind of limiters in that regard. And so that'll be even more responsive, which is great. There's never any charges in terms of gas fees. In terms of transacting, there's a tiny little kind of resource cost that the seller pays, so or the buyer pays, excuse me. And so it doesn't cost anything to sell necessarily. So it's this really, really great system. And this all sounds all well and good. And I throw out a lot of numbers, 10,000 transactions, the second 8,000 transactions. A lot of people do that. You can actually go to DAP Radar, which is a third-party site that measures transactional kind of volume across all the blockchains. And if you look at any given day, like pick any day over the last year, year and a half, it doesn't really matter. You will see that on that specific day, the WAX blockchain has done over 50% of every single transaction across every single blockchain forever. Like... It's a third-party site. It's not anything that we control. And that surprises a lot of people. So some people say, "Oh, we can do 16,000 transactions a second. Well, they count a server server handshake as a transaction. We're talking about, you know, distributed ledger updates. And so updates to the memory footprint like we do 8,000 per second. And we do about anywhere between depending on kind of what's hot in the market now, we do between 18 and 30 million transactions a day. And that is between 50 to 54% Every single transaction done on the blockchain is done on the WAX blockchain. It really is incredible. And again, that's not us evangelizing. That's just us stating what third-party sites have shown. And you can take any third-party site. As long as they pay for the data to be collected, you'll see that we are at the top in that regard.
1: Well, that's really impressive. And, you know, we're friends with the Bad Crypto podcast guys, and I know that they've been impressed with WAX from day one for some of the reasons that you've shared. One of your latest network activations is Blockchain Brawler, which sounds like a, a really fun play-to-earn Web3 game with a, a interesting cast of characters. Can you tell us a little bit more about that game and some of the utility that you've baked into it?
0: Yeah. So blockchain brawlers, is it's, it's really interesting. It's the first title that we put out, Wax Studios. We put it out the kind of the last day of March it came out. And what it was, was a click mining game, like all kind of Web3 games at that point in time. The problem was, as we were late to the click mining party, we knew that we wanted players to accumulate a currency, but we knew that we wanted to build a real game. And so everything that we do at WAX, when you look at our roadmap, when you look at kind of how we speak about things, there's always learnings at the core. Like, what do you want to learn? What is your expected outcome? So everything we do tries to inform the next thing that we do. So blockchain brawlers really was a litmus test. We knew people had nostalgic feelings for kind of 80s to 90s style wrestlers, right? Everybody loves the Macho Man and Hulk Hogan and and The Rock and The Big Show and all those.
1: We actually had... Speaking of wrestling, Chris Jericho, huge NFT fan, also a wrestling wrestling fan, I guess. If you're going to be in the business of body slamming people, you got to be a huge fan. But he was just on the show. So you'll have to check that one out.
0: Yeah. So I was at THQ when we made all the WCW and WWE games. So when he made that transition from the NWA to the WWF at that time, like that was a huge story. And we put him in Y2J, as he was called, right? Like, like we're real, we're fans of his. And so wrestling has kind of always been in my blood as a child, as as a professional game maker. And now, as a web three content creator it just lends itself so well because of the personalities. But the thing that you have to keep in mind, and we told people, like I started doing press for blockchain brawls in January. I said, day one is going to be the worst experience anybody has in this game, because it's this very modest, like I built AAA titles my entire life. And I knew what we we're going to have on day one. I said, you just have to be patient with us because every day is going to be better than the previous. And we've delivered on that promise. So we went through the mining phase, and we had a limited number of tokens. We said, "You got to buy these and hold them because there's going to be a ton of utility." But this is the in-game currency, and there's going to be no more after this mining phase. Like we've gone from in wildly inflationary to wildly deflationary, right? Like that tokenomics was like, "Look, you'll get eighty percent. We'll keep twenty, not to pay the team, but to do UA." But that's all you're going to get. And here's all the ways that those tokens are going to work in the future like, you know, buy in-game store, you're going to use this to craft, you're going to use this to sell, you're going to use this to upgrade, you're use this to compete, you're going to use this as an entry fee. Like there's all these ways to use this fungible token. We said, and trust us. And this is the key point. At the end of the day, we're building an incredible PVP experience. that's going to be revolutionary. It's going to be unique. It's going to be exclusive to us. And it's going to be so unbelievably fun. You're going to want to be a part of it. And they're like, <laughs> you know, I was saying this to a crowd that was in the middle of about 18 straight rug pulls from different games and companies and projects, right? I'm like you got to trust me. And they're like, we don't know you from Adam. I'm like, but this is me. This is my LinkedIn profile. I'm like I'm legit. And they're like, okay, keep going. So I undocs myself, transparency, consistency. And then we brought in Richard Garfield, right. Who is literally the designer and the creator of magic gathering. And Richard said, I've got this card game. I've been building for a year. It doesn't have a home. I just build it because I'm Richard Garfield and I have, you know, engineers and, and kind of, you know, prototypers at my disposal. And I really love the idea of this. And if you think this will work for blockchain brawlers, you know, you can, you know, obviously set up the arrangement. You can, you can have it. Right. And so I'm just like, it was like this weird moment. Like Richard Garfield, who's one of my heroes, says to me, I have this thing that I've been building for a year that nobody knows about that just you could have.
2: Were you guys talking at the local coffee shop? How did that come to be?
0: Oh, so <laughs> well, there was a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great question, Ethan. There was a tremendous amount of trepidation. I don't know about NFTs because of what I've heard. I don't know about Web3 because what I've been taught these is predatory practices, scams, rug pulls, like, you know, environmentally unfriendly. And so it took seriously, it took a couple of meetings to get him over the hump of what we were all about and to build that trust. But once he got, he's like, "Okay, I'm in. How can I help? And I said, well, let's build a game together. And then he literally says to me, he goes, great. What kind of game do you want me to build for you? I'm like, you're Richard Garfield. Let's roll actually-
2: the dice and, and see what the probabilities say. We'll make, <laughs> let it make our choice.
1: <laughs> that kind of explains some of these staggering numbers. And I need to verify this is still accurate. Over $341 million in trade volume and average player earning $1,420 per day or about 3500 of the game's native brawler token. Is that where we're at today?
0: Uh, no, we're actually better off than that. So the trading volume from a token standpoint, we're well over 600 million in token trading volume. So the token is very liquid and we trade on every single exchange minus Binance. So we're on OKX, we're on KuCoin, Gates, Wabi, uh, Mexi. You know, I'm sure I'm leaving a bunch out, but uh, we're on. We're available on every centralized exchange and we're obviously on Alcor as well. So the tr- token trading volume is high. And the players who got in early during that mining phase you know, did very, very well. And now we said, take these assets and transition into what is an esports, right? Like blockchain brawlers is a platform. It's a platform with many different ways to play, many different ways to earn currencies. It's, it's literally kind of it pick your poison, right? Do you want to be a crafter and a producer? Do you want to be a PVP player? Do you want to be, you know, an aggregator of NFTs? Like, however you want to engage with our site, because I really look at blockchain brawlers as an interactive platform, not so much here's a singular game where you can do like one thing, like you can do. A ton of things, and I think that's been part of the appeal. Is that our current audience today is a bunch of investors and gamblers. Like, let's be clear: the speculators are investors or gamblers. Like, we know that, and we have things for them to do that they enjoy. But where we're going with, again, with this experience that Richard has helped us build, that we're now going live with. In fact, you can as of Friday it was it was available to be played for free. It's still in trial mode, but you can come in and play it and see what it's all about. Like, that's for the core gamer. That's for the three billion gamers in the world. We say you come in and try what we have. Like. This is a better use of your time than other games you're currently playing on your mobile device or on your console or what have you. Like, this is an incredibly addictive, like, just so fun and so thoughtful, deep, strategic, but really simple kind of experience. And when you have that in your back pocket, you've got something that's objectively great, like literally objectively great. Everything else really falls in the line from that.
2: Can you tell us about, so free to play, is that for everyone or how
0: how, how does it exactly work? For now, it's free to play because we're still in very much a test mode, but how it will work for the Web3 players of the world is that you have your wallet. Like I said, you've mined all these currencies, you've collected or crafted all these NFTs. So the game itself, you think Richard Garfield, oh, it's magic gathering, but with wrestling. It's actually not. He said a really kind of curious comment that that I had no appreciation for. He said, I could build a trading card game for you. He said, but if you have three different kinds of metas, three different kinds of deck constructs, let's just say, he said, that's a 12 to 15 month balancing exercise for a 30 card deck. I said, I don't have 12 to 15 months. I have like six months. He's like, right. He goes, and I don't have time to design the game and then to balance it. So good. I guess I never had an appreciation for how long and how hard it was to balance the trading card game really, really well. Interesting. Just the balance piece, to get all those knobs turned correctly, because there's so many different variables that are kind of competing with one another in terms of strengths, nerfs, weaknesses, OP things. So-
2: so many cool people have made games. And and I feel like it's something where, you know, it's always like somebody that you know, that, you know, they're really talented at something else. But they've also like created a game. It's a fascinating world.
0: You know, he's a PhD in mathematics. And I will share this with you. When I first read the game design, I'm like, I don't get it. It feels like it's war. Like, are my cards higher than your cards? And we just show them to each other. You think this is so simple. I must be missing something. And I just was, I was a little bit deflated because I was a big magic player. And I had such high hopes. And then you're like two to three games in. You're like, oh, this is diabolically evil in terms of its design and its balance and player choice. Like it hits you literally like an anvil in a Warner Brothers cartoon. You're like, this is, I, I totally get it.
1: You know, it, it begs the question around sort of, you know, where all of this is going from an interoperability perspective. There's a lot of conversation about interoperable metaverses. Right. And, you know, part of that means somehow being able to move your objects from one metaverse to another. And essentially, you know, gaming, as we've talked about, is the core of all this in-game or all these like assets, these digital assets, if you will. So I guess... From just a logical perspective, that also means we need interoperability in in the world of gaming, but not everyone feels that way. And you could make an argument, Michael, Wax is so successful without interoperability. Why is interoperability part of your vision? I'd like to sort of understand that a little bit more.
0: Yeah so we should talk about interoperability. So I I agree with you. I actually don't think people want interoperability. Like it's actually it's not the cure all or the panacea that I think people think it is. If it's something fashion based in a metaverse I get it. But from a gaming standpoint, like when you get an asset, let's say it's the sort of thousand truths, you know, the 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 mythical item that South Park kind of joked about in that one episode about, you know, the kids just played, you know, wow the whole time and got really fat and had health problems, but they're searching for the sort of thousand truths. Like, imagine that drop for you. Like that is designed and tuned and built for that experience tied to those mobs or those instances and in raids in a very, very kind of narrow way. Now you take that into a different game with a different developer, even a similar developer, it's not going to perform the same. So it's hard to describe a value to something that kind of moment to moment, you know, scenario to scenario, paradigm to paradigm is different. Fashion where it's all kind of, you know, one way and it's, it's very kind of superficial that I understand where we see interoperability or how we like to talk about it, how we like to think about it is we have a saying called utility on wax, but liquidity anywhere else. Like we know that people want to own their assets, and if they come to us from Ethereum or an EVM, any kind of L2, any kind of sidechain, any kind of anything, like they're very used to and very comfortable kind of transacting on their chain. Like, fine, you should be able to sell on OpenSea or Rarible or you know Magic Eden or anywhere else that you're used to vending, you know the things that you have control over. Just like you know, I can buy a car and I can go trade in at any dealer. It's like no. You only can trade in at a Chevy dealer. Like, no, I want to trade it in any dealer. Like, no, you can't. Like, you bought it. You have free will. You should be able to sell it wherever you want to sell it. And that's really what we're all about. And so we have built, you know, chains to, or I'm sorry, chains, bridges to Ethereum, bridges to Binance. We're going to build bridges to every single protocol in the world. So people can come into Wax and they can have a great experience because, again, You buy something, you get it immediately. It has utility that matters. It's like, it's a really enjoyable experience. It's incredible communities. And when you're done or when you want to get value for it, go ahead and, you know, two clicks to kind of convert it to an Ethereum standard and sell it on OpenSea and go on about your business. You have that path to fiat that we've done for you in a highly kind of web two way, because again, we have a very web two mentality in terms of User interface and onboarding and offboarding because we know the convenience and intuitive interfaces are going to drive mass adoption. Without them, we're just talking to ourselves and we speak in a, a, a bit of a, a bit of a dialect that most people go, "What? What are you saying? I just want to play a game. I want to want to buy something. I want to use." It's like, no, you got to set up a wall and you got to understand what the block emissions are and you know what is your protocol of choice and are you importing or are you exporting? Like, like I just want to play.
2: Yeah, yeah, and the interrupter really.
0: Right. That's where we're getting to. And that's how we see interoperability.
2: It's a beautiful strategy. And, you know, it's so interesting to see how these things work themselves out and, and what happens, you know, it's like, there's a different world, of course, than like, you know, Google and Facebook and Apple or whatever. But, you know, you see these things happening so naturally where they were non-intuitive at first, where Google's advertising on Facebook, Facebook's advertising on Google, you know, like Apple's got the thing that's got to be compatible with, you know, Windows or... Like people just want these things to happen and the businesses are not going to survive that remain too siloed. But this is also a different world. Does any of this like... When you think about the rebranding topic here, like... Does any of this go into the rebranding? What is the impetus for the
0: rebranding? Yeah. A little tiny bit. So the thing that we found, which was really interesting, is that when we met with people, and look, we have strategic conversations all the time with you know Solana and Polygon and Fractal and Magic Eden and just anybody in the business of Web3 transactions, right? whether you're a marketplace, you're a protocol, or you're a layer two, a side chain, a centralized exchange, whatever you are, people were always under the impression because we were Wax Studios, that we were bound to and exclusively building things only for the Wax blockchain. Like, Oh, you can't come to, you know, Polygon and making it up because you build exclusively for the Wax blockchain. Well, why do you think that? Well, because you're Wax studios and aren't you owned by the Wax blockchain? The Wax blockchain is the internet. Like it's a ledger. Like they don't own us. Our founders are the same. So the names are the same, but so we ran into time and time again, a real kind of confusion about kind of what are we all about? And so once we changed and and rebranded, now there's no longer that's like, we don't have to get ahead of that argument or that narrative anymore. People are like, oh, cool. I see your games. I see you've got a wallet. I see you've got a marketplace. Great. Let's have a regular strategic conversation opposed to, I thought you were this. There's no more kind of misgivings around kind of what we're all about.
2: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's a really cool dinosaur logo and artwork you've got you got a lot to work with there.
0: yeah <laughs> do you see the teeth spell out Toronto I, I don't know if people ever you know
2: what that is so funny like I see it now that you tell me but I had this stupid joke question which I didn't ask because it, prob- it probably it probably would have fit now I was gonna say is there something significant to the number of teeth but I, I was literally like that was a joke and I see it now it's one of those kind of like you see it when you know it right and then you can't unsee it yeah that's cool
0: right Yeah. We, it's funny. We did that huge logo study, like with FedEx, you know, the E and the X, there's an arrow in there and Amazon, it shows A to Z. And then my favorite though of all is the Tostitos logo. The two T's in the middle are actually people and they're holding chips, dipping it into a bowl and you don't really, but once you see it, you never unsee it. So logo design and intention was very much at the core at the creation of the Toronto logo. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I love how those things fall under the radar too, though. I had some friends, I remember they were like in there late 20s at the time. And they said, frigid air, frigid air. Oh, I get it now. Frigid air. <laughs> right, right, right. See? <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, go ahead, Josh.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I wanted to to dive in a little bit deeper into this concept of the future of of play to earn looking more like play to own. I mean, I think we've all seen the challenges with play to earn and, and we'll dive into that a little bit more. But for now, let's talk about play to own. What does that look like and why is that the future?
0: Yeah, so play to earn is dead. Like Anybody involved in a play to earn project is going to end up losing everything you put into it at some point. So you should just divorce yourself from the notion of ever really getting anything to come from that because it is built on an unsustainable model and it is really predicated on the developer or the publisher, or whomever being able to continue to feed people in to their funnel. And the people need to be able to come in at an entry point, and they need to have an appreciation of their assets or a token. And those things just aren't happening. And they haven't been happening for kind of six to eight months. and so, And maybe even longer. So as soon as you kind of come to grips with that, that you're on a, a road to nowhere, then it's okay. Because I think a lot of times...
1: How do you really feel, Michael?
0: It's look. It's it's disappointing as 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 a gamer to have been involved. And so one of the first things you do when you get into the web three space for so the first time is like, I'm going to play ten play to earn games, and I'm going to get religion around all this, and I'm going to see how they do and what they do. And it was really super interesting and terrifying, but yet also, like I'm like, oh, this will be easy because none of these guys know what they're doing. All these projects are terrible and none of them are built by real game developers. And so this will be really simple. And it was, but it creates a lot of scar tissue for the existing player base, which I've super high levels of empathy for, right? And I've lost a bunch of money in these projects. I'm not bitter. I mean, I cost up to the cost of doing business and it's all part of my education. So I'm actually okay with it. But I feel bad for the millions of people that really got just duped and it's really too bad.
1: Yeah, it's a shame. And I think we're getting back to the basics. One more really quick sidebar from Seoul, Korea is that I happen to sit at the table with, this very humble gentleman that co-founded the biggest gaming guild in Korea. And you immediately think guild, you're like, oh my God, that's sort of feeding the monster that just died. But this is a guild based on community. They genuinely love gaming. He's a photographer. They have no like uh, rules of of like, no like uh, labor sort of like travesties. They're just hanging out supporting games that they enjoy playing for the right reasons. It's like, it's a new guild concept. And in fact, being built around this new play and own economy, they own a lot of land and they love that. Yeah. If you want to meet this guy, his English is not that strong, but he gave it a good shot for the show and uh, he practiced and I'm so proud of him and he's a great guy.
0: I would love to meet him. And I actually do think that there's very much a future for guilds to play in the world of play to own and web through gaming. I believe that with every fiber of my being. There's no doubt in my mind that those things can peacefully coexist and they can actually benefit one another. I think that I can see a world where if you've set up a guild, a guild has a CFO, you know, they're, met, they're, you know, again, they're monitoring all of their assets, how their assets performing, they're allocating people to do things in different worlds. Like they're creating this whole treasury of items and because you never know which you know, which games are really going to kind of catch fire and what things are going to have value and so forth and so on. But I I, I would absolutely love to meet this person. I, I do think there's a future for guilds in, in the space. I will tell you, so if I think that P2E is dead, and I do, and I think that's a road to nowhere, and I also believe that with every fiber of my being, then why do this, right? What's the point? And the reality of the situation is, is that there are, like I said, over 3 billion gamers in the world. We know this. Um, every study shows it. And you know what amount of money they spent on gaming uh, 2020, 2021, now 2022. It's growing. It's it's encroaching on. It's coming close to $200 billion. I think in 2021, it was $175 billion, something like that. It's not an insignificant amount of money. And none of those players had anything to show for it. Like not a single thing, right? Other than memories, right? They couldn't take... Like, oh, I got this. So I took it out of the game and I sold it. No, you're a count call blacklisted. You got banned. You got this. You got like the developers of the world, the publishers of the world aren't set up to run this way. But as players, we invest a lot of time. We invest a lot of energy. And we, and more importantly, we invest a lot of money in games that we love. And it's this walled garden that you can't break out of. And it's very intentional right? It's, it's Las Vegas. They want to keep you in the casino. It's a car dealer. They want to keep you on the lot because they know as soon as you leave, you're not going to buy that car. Like there's all these things that they do to keep you trapped inside of this world. And it's not predatory, but it's just how they know to operate the best. Yeah, it's exactly how business works. And what you get is you get this false paradigm where I can't quit now. I've got too much money in. It's this very much this poker mentality. I'm pot committed. I might as well keep going, right? And so Web3 actually allows for people to not feel as guilty about spending money in a game because you know you have an out, right? You know, it's your asset. You know, you can give it away. You can trade it. You can sell it. You can buy it. You can speculate on it. You can upgrade it. You can do all these things because just like in the real world, when you buy a physical item, you can do those things too. And that model has been proven, you know, since the dawn of time. Let's
2: put two things you just mentioned together, car dealerships, three things, NFTs and physical items. And let's talk about Hot Wheels. (laughs) so (laughs) well played you guys partnered with mattel to release the nft hot wheels collection and have the collectibles be physically redeemable in a couple sentences because we're going to wrap up this segment soon you know Obviously, that's exciting. But what's unique about the excitement uh, that people might not realize, right? It's a big brand. Okay, got it, right? They're established. Yes, it's already collectible. What's uniquely interesting for Michael Rubinelli about this? What are you saying? Yeah.
0: So that's a collection. It's not a game. And so I will speak from a kind of a consumer perspective. What's interesting to me, it's like any loot crate that you would buy, right? You don't know what's in it. And so there's this whole moment of, I bought this and I hope I got the the legendary and mythic version of whatever that was, right? And so, first of all, the NFTs are just gorgeous. Like, they're some of the best produced NFTs I've ever seen. So if you're into kind of digital collectibles that are mementos or nostalgic or works of art, like, these things are so unbelievably well-produced. I kind of have to tip my cap because I'm all about producing incredible assets myself for my own games, what they did on the Hot Wheel side is really just triple A. It's just so unbelievably good. The high fidelity. It's just it's really spectacular. But the nice thing is, is that some of the collection, if you get it, can be redeemed for a physical Hot Wheel. That is a highly, highly, highly collectible thing, put out in very, very few numbers. And if you go and you look on eBay again, because we think our current audience are, are speculators and gamblers, if you look at the value of those NFTs, the Hot Wheels NFTs on eBay that come from our drops, they're going for hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a couple dollar purchase. The same with the Funko collection, same with, you know, any collection that we do. Now, Mattel does it because first of all, they're trying to learn about NFTs and consumer affinity, but it's also nice to see that now you've got this provenance, right? Like a color of title, if you will, on every single thing that you've bought and sold, it's got real value. You know, think about applying that to concert tickets or to baseball games or to things that, you know, that are keepsakes for you that maybe someday like, oh, my God, I was at the game that, you know, so-and-so did the such and such. And here's proof of that. You know, I have this digital collectible.
2: It's got provenance, but does it have the Carfax record (laughs) on those particular?
0: (laughs) Give it some time. That's funny if you did a Carfax NFT. (laughs)
1: No, we loved having Mattel at NFTLA, and thank you for
0: facilitating that. Yeah, they're great. They're really great. They're very forward-thinking. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you a great story, Josh. You'll love this. So Hasbro and Mattel both came into the wax world the exact same time. And we told Hasbro, you need to communicate to your customers this way about NFTs and their environmental impact. They're like, we're Hasbro. Don't tell us how to PR anything. And I'm not saying that to be shaming Hasbro, but they took this very much this condescending attitude towards us. Then we had Mattel, like a week later said, you have to communicate kind of, you know, X blockchain, echo friendliness to your audience. They said, give us the beats. We gave them the beats. Their community was so like, thank you, Mattel, for being so forward thinking about the one thing that concerns us the most about NFTs. We're really honest to God, concerned about the future of the environment tied to NFT creation. Whereas the Hasbro is like, how dare you Hasbro? What a terrible thing to do. Like it literally was in the exact same timeframe, two different companies taking the exact opposite approaches. The Mattel one was just so unbelievably well-received and it really was built affinity and equity with their audience. Whereas the Hasbro audience was like, you know, effectively, you know, forget you. We don't want to be any part. We don't want any part of this. How dare you? Yeah.
1: Yeah, totally. You know, Michael, this is so fun, man. And I wish we had like the Joe Rogan style where we can talk for three hours. We've got some additional segments. One last question for you is just anything briefly that you want to uh, touch on on your roadmap that you're pumped about that we should at least sort of share with our listeners before we move on.
0: So, Blockchain Brawlers is going to go live as a game where you can wager currency like you would, and because again, Blockchain Brawlers is very much like Texas Hold'em or Guts, if you know the Guts, the game Guts. It's not like Magic the Gathering; it's very much a card game head to head, like heads up poker. That's going to go live at the end of October, early November. We are going to take that core experience and we're going to make it an eSport, right? It's already an eSport. It's best player wins, not who spends the most wins. And we want to take that and we want to scale it globally. We want it to be on TV. We want it to be highly streamable. So if you want to be part a pioneer of an early days esports game that at its core is super enjoyable and easy to learn, but really hard to master. There's plenty of room on the bandwagon. We'd love to have you. And I would tell you without question, I've built a lot of gaming communities in my life. This is the best community, gaming community I've ever been a part of, hands down, bar none. These are the smartest, nicest, most helpful people in the world.
1: Ethan, I have this visual in my head of like one of the teams having these terrible Hulk Hogan t-shirts and like when they win the tournament or when they're about to play their opponent, they just like rip them off or something
0: like that. Hulkamani runs wild on you, brother. (laughs) Yes, it does.
2: Well, I um, love the confidence and, and passion you have um, for all of this stuff. And it, like, like Josh said, it's been a pleasure to talk and we could, we'll could we have to just hang out one day. <laughs> we'll, go up, we'll go for a long hike and we'll, we'll talk all about everything. But yeah, this has been really fun. We want to get to know you even better personally, which is why we're going to get to our next segment, which I think will be really fun given your deep roots in history here and all this stuff. It's called Edge Quick Hitters. And Edge Quick Hitters are a fun and quick way to get to know you a bit better. 10 quick questions. We're looking for a short, single, or few word response, but we can expand a little bit if we get the urge. You have questions about blockchain? Like, how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your bag? Or, have you received that chain letter? How did you block it? And does blockchain taste better barbecued or (laughs) deep-fried? Luckily you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them and also train you in real-world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. so hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintrainingalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOV for 50% off and start your next block today. Are you ready to rumble? <laughs> All right, great. I am. What is the first thing you ever remember purchasing in your life?
0: I don't remember it, but it was probably candy.
2: Nice. Okay. What's a, what's a go-to candy for you? What do you think it was? Snickers?
0: Back then, it was probably a Marathon Bar, which they don't make anymore. Today, I would tell you it'd be a Milky Way Special Dark.
2: Nice. Marathon Bar. Look it up. Okay. What is the first thing you ever remember selling in your life? Wow. I don't? Make up the first thing you remember. Yeah.
0: I had a job working at a deli when I was 14 and I worked the cash register. So that maybe maybe a deli sandwich, a kanish, potentially.
2: Nice. Yum. All right. Josh, take the next couple.
1: Yeah. I love a good knish, by the way. (laughs) So what is the most recent thing you purchased?
0: I bought my wife dinner last night. Does that count? Yeah. 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 It was delicious.
1: This at a restaurant or Uber Eats style? Or a deli sandwich.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry for the divergence. We watched the British baking show on Friday. It was Mexican week. She goes, I'd love a taco. I'm like, I'll go to a taqueria. And there you go.
1: There you go. What is the most recent thing you sold?
0: God, these are all such good questions. I don't sell anything much to my chagrin. I wish I sold everything. (laughs) I must have sold something. I'm assuming I sold uh, an NFT to somebody at a really low price because I wanted them to have it for cheap. In fact, I know it was on, I take that back. On Saturday, I sold a rarity pack, which was worth probably $15 to $20. I sold it for a dollar to show people how to use the in-game borrow marketplace in blockchain brawlers.
1: That's very generous and educational of you.
0: Yeah, I love it. How about this one? What is your most prized position? Oh, I have an original John Madden football for the Sega Genesis in mint condition, shrink wrap, the cardboard box, the original <laughs> John Madden from 1991. It's worth a lot of money. It's locked up somewhere in my house.
1: I love that game. And I'm not playing this season because I'm so addicted to that game.
0: It's really good. And when you make Madden, you see things you would have done differently. It drives you crazy. So you just stop playing.
1: All right. Let's all go play some John
2: Madden. No, just kidding. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service experience that is currently for sale, or you think you could acquire, what would it
1: be?
0: Uh, Hawaii. I'd love to buy Hawaii from the US and make it my own private set of islands. That'd be great. I'd buy Riot Games. I would love to buy Riot. I think they do certain things really well. I think they do certain things really poorly, but their heart is in the right place and how they do things. I'd love to just make them bend to my will by being the owner great choices
1: i'll go in on that for with you (laughs) if you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation what would it be
0: my glass is half full so always take a positive outlook and give people the benefit of the doubt until they prove they don't deserve it
1: yeah it's just better that way you know like you could do the other thing and be like a, a skeptic but it's just not as fun
0: you'll, you'll die of a heart attack at 47. Like nobody wants to live that kind of life of I don't trust anyone and I'm insecure. So therefore I am really closed off. I'm like, you know what? Life's too short. Let's go out and have a blast.
2: Next one. Uh, if you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be?
0: Fear of failure. I don't feel failing as much because the cost for failing is not as high and actually you want to embrace failure. But there's this whole notion of failing or being perceived as a failure that I think is really unhealthy. I actually think failing is very healthy, but I know there's this fear. So it keeps people on the sidelines. I would love it if people just didn't have my similar kind of fear of not taking that risk and getting out there and seeing what happens.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's always funny when you get past a fear.
1: You look back and you go,
0: "Oh, I was afraid afraid of that. (laughs) What's that that all about?" What did you
1: do just before joining us on this podcast?
0: I had lunch. We always back to food with me. I don't know what it is. I had three minutes, and my wife brought me home a uh, a poke bowl from Whole Foods, and I scarped it down in record time so I could be here on time.
1: Yeah, I know that routine. And last question is: What are you going to do next after the podcast?
0: We have every Monday. We have an executive management leadership meeting where we all kind of sync up every Monday at four o'clock our time. And so that's what I will do. I'll take part in that. There are no committees at this company. It's a series of individual entrepreneurs, and so we get together on a weekly basis and we talk about just what's happening in our world. It's really helpful and really interesting.
1: Very cool, Ethan. Is this correct? Do you, Do you have a bonus question this week, sir?
2: Bonus question for you. Let's head it. I'm going to give you a two minute burning. Set a timer here to go off on this one. Is a crypto bear market bad for NFTs? Go. (laughs) It's
0: actually not bad for NFTs. It's actually really good for NFTs because the people that aren't serious are getting out. Thank God, right? So rampant speculation is gone and true believers are going to be the ones that actually hold the token, right? I think the thing though that I say a lot that people don't always necessarily understand is that I don't care what Ethereum or Bitcoin is trading at like I care about people being allowed to own their assets. And I think that's really, really important. And I know that people say, well, gee, you know, NFT value and appreciation is tied to token stability or appreciation. But to me, that's so far down the line, you first have to start with give people something they want to own that they want (laughs) to use. And if at some point it goes up or down in price tied to a token tied to a cryptocurrency, so be it. But let's First things first, let's let people own anything that they buy in a game. That's such a huge hurdle and a massive win. And that is completely divorced from the price of Bitcoin or Ethereum.
2: Beautiful. Dude, that was like 55 seconds.
0: Well played. I may have given that answer. (laughs) It's a little bit more rehearsed.
2: Awesome. Hey there, NFT space cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com, it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle, to award winning brain computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you d who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe. It's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right. This full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole enchilada NFT service can help you. Yes, you, Randy. Launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. All right. And now it's time to move on to hot topics. And for today, we have a very special guest who, it looks like you have something interesting in common with actually, Michael, we can touch upon that. But today's hot topic is sponsored by OneFootball and we have Jean-Charles Godeschon. He's joining us. I think I did a pretty good job of pronouncing that. We're going to call him JC from this point forward. (laughs) He is the CEO of One Football Labs, a joint venture between Whoop Football, Web3 champion Animoca Brands, blockchain investment pioneer Liberty City Ventures. Alongside strategic partner Dapper Labs, it enables clubs, leagues, federations, and players from across the world to release digital assets and fan-centric football experiences based on blockchain technology built on the sports industry-leading flow blockchain via the easy-to-use and secure wallet Dapper. JC has two decades of experience in the games industry. Prior to his appointment as CEO of OneFootball Labs, he held various roles in the combined total of 16 years he spent at video game giant electronic arts. (laughs) And that's where you guys overlap (laughs) in his new role as one football Labs CEO, JC plays a crucial role in growing the business and creating top quality web three products to deliver a new era of football fan consumption central to one football labs offer is the ability for fans to access unique and affordable digital collectibles, which allow them to own real life moments of incredible football in perpetuity
1: pretty exciting episode guys and JC uh, i'm sure you you have some thoughts on on some of michael's provocative thinking and hopefully you agree on some things and and disagree on a few things cuz what's innovation without that level of of discourse but but first and foremost pretty awesome what's going on with one football you guys just had a big series a and you had a, a Series A that sort of related to the first market deal related to football of its kind. Unpack that first a little bit and tell us what's going on in your world with our friends at Animoca Brands.
3: Cool. Well, first, uh, thanks for having me. Sorry for the French accent. I'm going to try to work on that. You need to tell me if everything is fine with that. It makes our show more charming, JC. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I heard that before. It never really paid off, but I, I did on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. And first, I just want to Disclaimer, we're talking about soccer here, not football. So I just want to make sure that when I say football, it's actually soccer and, you know, kind of the old content sport that is almost a religion for us. So this is what every time I go back to football, please, it's actually soccer I'm referring to. And first, before I go straight into that, I just wanted to say that I do resonate with a lot of the stuff that Michael said. I'm a game maker. I'm a gamer and a big one. There's probably not a single reference I didn't catch in what he what he said, including the sort of thousand truths. It's cool to see a lot of fellow game makers coming and making the jump. I think this this is good for everyone, good for gaming in general. Hopefully, good for the web three space, even though we're coming very humble. And God knows, I'm coming very humble despite the super cool intro, because you know, usually you come and you have a lot of concepts in mind about how to make a game. And you need to put a lot, you know, back in question when it comes to, you know, kind of blockchain powered games. So that's just my little intro and kind of how I, I felt about Michael said. And I, I also related a lot about the super high quality and the production you mentioned, which I think is, is great and something uh, super important. Hopefully, our digital collectible will impress you too, Michael. I'd love to get feedback after the show. But yeah, back to that. So yeah, we mentioned OneFootball Labs. OneFootball is the, the biggest digital soccer platform. Obviously, Animoca gives us incredible experience and and, and network and, and LCV was one of the first uh, venture capital to move in the crypto space. So I came with, you know, uh, very lucky and surrounded by incredible people. And what we just did is we indeed just Released our NFT marketplace. You will see that I usually go back to uh, digital collectibles. We have a bit of a pet peeve around trying to avoid the word NFT, just because we're trying to you know lower the barrier. And when you, you talk to a football fan, you know NFT doesn't resonate the same way, which is why you know we try to kind of navigate our way through through the language and the crypto language in, in in that case. But yeah, we had a so we're we're live for 30 days. It's uh, it's actually all you know still pretty new to us. We launched early September our first drop, which was on the Serie A Italian League. So basically, when football allowed us, the connection to football allowed us to acquire some major rights. Serie A Italy, from Italy was one. The Bundesliga in Germany, there's almost 25, 26 top pro players and a lot more license that we've acquired in order to be able to give basically digital video moments back to fans. And the idea is really for them to own a moment, a piece of that, you know, a game that happened and for them to be able to collect this, then get access to real life utilities. I'll stop here just for now, but keep going. Love it. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, to dive deeper into this, it is
2: interesting to try to approach these sports that have a global impact, you know, and you do have to touch everyone, right? You know, there's little old couples sitting on their couch watching the, the football game who don't give a crap about what the latest tech is. They just don't care, right? They just want to do what they enjoy. And so, you know, you guys are really focused on changing the narrative and bringing people closer to the game that they already like. Not confusing fans you mentioned, not mentioning NFTs really deeply, except in, you know, these types of conversations. <laughs> but yeah, how do you do all this and you know, how do you access what it really matters to fans here? Like what's your approach?
3: Yeah, no, no. I mean, so I th- I think what's really important to us is to really resonate with the emotion of the sport, with the emotion of fans, with, you know, what a sport really gives you. As I said to us, we kind of elevated it at the level of religion in some ways. And I'm using this word because it's really something really deep inside and without, you know, trying to to sound a, a little too emotional, despite being French, I guess, so I should probably keep going on that. But no, it's really about hitting this. And we usually say we give football back to the people, right? The beautiful thing about Web3 today, the technology, the legal frame, allows people to properly own something and not to rent it, like the gaming piece that Michael and I or all of us had. It's just rental, right? When you actually, in World of Warcraft, nothing belongs to you. Here, the beautiful thing is it actually does. So that piece to us, which is not just in gaming, but real soccer on tv you can say that wonderful moment that just happened made you jump off your chair or or your couch for that matter and that's something you can own and of course there's a gamification i'm not coming for game gaming for nothing we have then you know as you collect these then we get you into weekly challenges and these challenges where you know it's like the best saves of the week or you know the best nights of juventus of all time and that type of stuff will then allow you to get access to real life utilities and that's, I think, a really important piece. I think that came something that came back a lot in what Michael said, what I feel strongly about also, is that it's going to be really about value and utilities and stuff that you actually give to users, fans, consumers. It's super important because I think there's been a lot of shortcuts that's been done on that front, right? And a lot of the players, the people did not really get what they deserved, I guess. And that's something we still need to solve. So here, that's really kind of the idea. But to your point, it, it's also about getting after people that may not, know about the space, that may be frightened about the space, uh, or just really not, you know, interested about the space. So we need to in extend to them. You know, we did things like we had a double page of the Gazzetta in Italy, which is, you know, the sports uh, uh, main newspaper. So people could actually, you know, read about this. And, and, and we had a whole pamphlet around, this is what we bring to you. This is how we can link, you know, the digital space to real-life stalker and to someone that's just, you know, uh, in Torino, go in and watch their game. So when you actually, people realize that you get access to, you know, amazing real-life utilities, like match tickets, VIP boxes, signed jerseys, meet and greets with their favorite players, like it's cool because I think we're bridging, we're just not inventing something in the digital space, right? We're bridging actually that that two worlds, the crypto world to a certain extent, and what I think, you know, we can be in the middle or or hopefully connect connector and all that. Michael, are you just in the normal course of your day? Are you running into
2: just people who have been at electronic arts like a fellow <laughs> worked work previously? Or?
0: I think the thing you realize being in this business for more than just a cup of coffee, that everybody at some point worked at EA. Like it's, <laughs> literally <laughs> everybody had their turn, right? And I'm sure there's a Hollywood analog for that. I'm sure there's a music industry analog. But in the gaming business, everybody worked at EA at one point. And so, yeah, as you say, I I think that JC raised a really, really, really vital point early. And I get asked this question a lot of times is how are we going to kind of have mass adoption? I say simple, don't talk about it being on the blockchain. Like as soon as you use language, like you need a wallet and you got to have deposit and buy a cryptocurrency and buy NFTs, people tend to tune out. And so the thing that we do is we speak about, we have an experience where you can own all your stuff and it's a great to play game. Like, oh, cool. I want to do that. But if I said, oh, as long as you open a Wax wallet and you buy these NFTs on the secondary marketplace, you go to centralized exchange to buy a token, they're like, okay, never mind. You take it a step further. You say, we don't even call them NFTs. Like, I'll gladly throw that in my playbook. Like, we never mention. Although, ironically, the title are for Game called Blockchain Brawler. So it's, it, maybe I speak on both sides. Right now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of one of those things where it's the teeth on the dinosaur. Most people might not even notice if you play it right. <laughs> but it's really interesting that we were saying about like, if you think about anything else that people like to own, like if I said, I'm going to sell you this car and I'm going to give you the title, check that out, right? Like <laughs> it's the title and it's all about the title, right? You know, it's like, okay, yes, I expect to have proof of ownership of this item. <laughs> but I'm, actually kind of more excited about the car than the document
1: I'm excited to see where this goes JC and when you call football as you say or soccer a religion with any other sport I would I would argue with the uh, the accuracy of that and if it's hyperbole but 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 knowing soccer fans um it truly is a, a religion so I I think you know you've chosen a really interesting area to focus in terms of building community on top of community. And I think that's what we see as the future of this space is, is yes, guys, you have to have a pre-existing community, or if you don't, you have to have the skills to put that community together with, with or without web three, right? Like that's critical to success here. Is there anything else in terms of how you're going to be working with the community in, in building the space that you wanted to touch on before we close out the segment?
3: Yeah, no, no, you're spot on, Josh. Like the so community is super, super important. So far, it's it's pretty. It's a pretty easy statement. I actually had the chance, by the way. Maybe that's the one game Michael didn't mention to work on Eve Online. And in my career, and Eve Online is just you have to meet this community. You have to see what this community is, what they stand for, who they are. It's just incredible. Some people would actually say this is probably the first real ownership economy that any video game has ever seen, right? And actually, a DAO economy uh, or DAO actually system is pretty much even online. And I was lucky to be close to it and learn a lot from that that space. Now, again, I'm coming in very humble. As I said, we started a month ago and God knows we've already disappointed our community here or there. So this is never easy to do that. But what's really important, what why community is even more important to us and for our project is because we need this community to basically be crypto fans, and football fans coming together. And actually I would go further in saying that the community is probably your best tool in order to go to mass adoption, in order to get people to come, to be part of a, a movement, to be part of a group of people and understand, get educated on what this, this means. To me, this is becoming now so important to even a fan in Torino to not just go and say, hey, come and get a, a collectible on our, you know, by one football platform come to actually join our community, get to learn, get to understand what we do, make some friends on the way, if you're interested. And if you realize now that, you know, the acquisition and the ownership and the collection of our digital, you know, collectibles will then get you into incredible football experiences, passion and leave your, your basically get closer to the sport you love uh, uh, more than ever. Like, so to me, that's really... I think what's super important about a community in our project, it is in any, to be honest. I would say that today, even as you mentioned about NFT or bear market, crypto bear market, well, it's the time today actually to solidify your community, to build it and to get it stronger. And during difficult times, usually get closer, get stuck in with your community make sure they still believe in what you're doing where you're going and I, I think that will be the way to win now I'm not giving any lessons as I said <laughs> I'm coming in still we're coming very humble just learning every step of the way but but I think this is going to be such an important you know um, aspect of our our project offer and just you know keep going that that community now I can go into how we're going to do that but actually actually that's also tools and things that already exist we're not necessarily going to innovate on that front but one thing I can say is one you know, thank the fans that were part of that that community so far that supported us, and I would obviously say, come join our Discord community, Era by One Football, because again, it's super important. And Era, by the way, A E R A, it's tough enough, so with the French accent, no one's going to type it <laughs> <Right>. correctly. <So, laughs> I just want to be very clear on, on on how to how to come to how to join us. Man, I mean, it's very exciting what you're up to,
2: and it's such you know, it must feel great to work on such a big. Topic, right? Of, of football, international football. So before we wrap up, let's make sure, you know, you gave the discord, any other places you want to send people on, on socials, uh, websites to find out more and get involved?
3: Yes, as I said, just check us out at era.onefootball.com. Again, a dot1football.com You know, and that's our marketplace. That's where hopefully Michael can check it out also and tell me if the production quality is there. I'm pretty proud, but again, like you know, this is from former game makers and still game makers, actually not former, former, you know, brick and mortar or <laughs> game makers to now the new type of games, and I'd love to get your feedback on it. So yes, come check it out. We're on obviously Discord, Twitter. We have a super cool Twitch event coming soon. Anyway, we're firing on all cylinders. Awesome. Well, that was all spoken like a true
2: perfectionist, always looking for input and feedback. <laughs> so that's a good sign. It's been a privilege to have you JC. Yeah. So, and I know you're beaming in there from far away. I think it's almost midnight there. So uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. I'm good. Thank you so much.
1: Hey, JC, that all sounds awesome, man. And I hear we have a dope giveaway as well related to your current packs that you're doing.
3: Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Exactly. So all you're going to have to do is to join our Discord, which I just mentioned, and it's era by one football or follow us on Twitter. And basically, we'll be giving away multiple packs, a gold pack, five silver packs and 100 plus bronze packs in order for people to you know get right in on our collecting our, our pretty cool digital collectibles.
1: Well, we really appreciate that generosity and, and folks will be able to look for that contest that will launch in conjunction with the show. Thanks so much for hanging out with us for a little while and uh, looking forward to whatever's next with while you're up to. And hopefully we'll see you at NFTLA as well.
3: Yes, absolutely.
1: Thanks much. All
2: right. Well, that was a blast. Michael, we have our next segment, which we've been having fun with recently, where we let our guest of the day do a little bit of a shout out. And we checked in with you and you said you might have someone that you would love to call out on the show. So let's give the mic to you for a minute and tell us who that is.
0: Thank you. So that person is Graham Devine. Graham Devine is a very well-established game designer who made the leap over to Web3 Gaming before anybody else of his stature took the plunge. And he's building a really cool kind of world and narrative, a game called Metropolis Origins. And I highly encourage everybody to check it out. Not only is it a great game and incredible noir art style, but Graham is just a prince of an individual. And he's just one of the loveliest people you'll meet in the industry. So I'd like to give a shout out to him.
1: Well, I just found him on Twitter. I won't try to butcher his Twitter handle, but it's Z-A-P-H-O-D-G-J-D. Or you could just look up Graham, G-R-A-E-M-E, Divine, and check out what Graham's up to in the space and appreciate you bringing some attention to this uh, fine gentleman.
2: Yeah. I love these shout outs too, because it gives gives listeners a chance to discover folks that might not be on their radar, but it's always really cool. So thanks for that. So we're going to wrap up here soon. I know that uh, we do have a giveaway that we're working on with you guys. So we're still working on the details, but knowing Wax, uh, you've got all kinds of fun stuff to do with Giveaway. So we'll be cooking up something awesome. People can look out on the socials for that, for how to enter and, and what exactly that entails. So we'll get to that on the socials. And then before we wrap, we just want to get from you, Michael, where we... Do you like to send people so they could find out more about uh, what you're up to?
0: There's two places and they basically take you to the same location, but you get into them different kind of consumer interfaces. The first one is play.bcbrawlers.com. If you have a wax cloud wallet. That's how you log into the game and you can start playing uh, the beta, the PvP game I talked about that Richard designed, our platform that has all those other things I also talked about. So play.bcbrawlers.com. If you want to just play the PvP game, just the card game head to head to see what that's like, it's free to try. There's, there's no entry price points. There's no wallet required. You can go to play-beta.bcbrawlers.com. Once again, play-beta.bcbrawlers.com. It's the game. It's in a browser. So Firefox, Safari, Chrome, Edge, it doesn't matter. Just come on in and play head to head. It takes a second for the assets to cash, but once you're cashed, you're good to go.
2: Beautiful. All right. Well, thanks so much, Michael. We had a true blast today and we would love to spend some more time with you at some point. I'd love it as well. Yeah. Well, we'll sign off for today. We've reached the outer limit officially at the edge of NFTs. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends, recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey also much better. How? You can go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and say something cool. Then go to Edge of NFT to dive further down the rabbit hole. That's edgeofnft.com. Look us up on all major social platforms by typing Edge of NFT with no spaces and start a fun conversation with us online. And lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content Thanks again, Michael, and everyone listening for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We are learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies, and not all strategies fit all people. We understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.